All right. Well, good morning, church. Everybody doing well today? Man, what a beautiful day. Hey, if you're joining us online, thank you for joining us and uh, making Journey Church a part of your day. Man, what a great uh, message last week that uh, Pastor Tony did um, on redemption. We just got through singing about redemption, but last week, just to hear that story of redemption, you know, I love, uh, I love the fact that God is a God of second chances. And uh, one of the cool things about that story that I don't know if he shared last week, but I know he shared with our students this past Wednesday night, is he and his beautiful wife, Laura, are expecting a third child. And uh, so they are excited about that. So if you guys would be praying for them. And uh, just to, to me, it was a it's, a it's a message from God of confirmation of His grace, His mercy, and that we serve a good, good God. Amen? And so I love that. I love that story of redemption. And so today we, we, uh, we continue our series and we talk about a comeback. And many of you guys may feel like, you know what, man, I need a comeback. Maybe you feel like you have been knocked down. Maybe you have been floored. Maybe you have been, you know, leveled out. You feel like you, I'm reeling. And it's time for a comeback for you. And so the scriptures, the Bible is full of great stories of comeback. You know, we, we, we started with Jesus, the ultimate, the ultimate comeback. But there's so many times in life where we, we feel like, you know what, hey man, I'm doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden we can lose sight of what's most important. And we can lose focus and we can begin to drift. You know, and then oftentimes, man, we get, we, we get blindsided. We get hit with something. And uh, it's because we have kind of stepped off the path. I want us to talk about somebody today, King David. King David's come back. You know, many guys know this story, the story of uh, David and Bathsheba. You know the story there. But here's a man who was a, a man after God's own heart. And God would say that even after he blew it. God would say that in Scripture about David even after he had blown it. And so God is a God who redeems. God is a God who is always chasing after us. And I hope you know that. There are times I think that we're, we think God's out to get me. He's not. He's out to win your heart over. He wants to He wants to save your soul. He wants you to be a part of His family. He's a loving God. He's a forgiving Father. And so let's take a look at, at David's story here. King David falls. And if you know the story, you know, King David had been anointed as a as a young boy. You know, his uh, his dad had his brothers together, you know, and Samuel comes by and he's going to anoint uh, the new king of Israel uh, because God had rejected uh, King Saul. He had rejected him. He had, Saul had kind of gone his own way, had done things uh, that God did not approve of. And God said, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to let him be king. And so he's anointing a new one. So he's got the brothers together, but David's not there. And, and anyway, you know, Jesse's like, you know, I've got another son, but he's out tending sheep. And he says, go get him. He said, we won't sit down until he gets here. And when he gets there, he anoints King David. And so David would serve with Saul and under Saul, and he would learn things from him. But, man, he was an incredible young man. He, we know the story of David and Goliath, right? That's our hero. Anytime there's a big game, anytime there's kind of, you know, a, hey, a big team that nobody can beat, but yet you got this little guy, it's the David and Goliath story. So David had a, a history of doing great things, and he was just a, a man after God's heart. He loved God. But he also became complacent. It says in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out, to, go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. So we see here that normally David would be about his, his responsibilities. And we have to be careful sometimes what we do is, you know, we can become complacent. We can become lazy. In this culture, it's almost, it's almost encouraged, you know, to not be disciplined and to not, uh, you know, to have good structure and to not have good boundaries and to not have good guardrails in our marriage. It's almost, hey, you do whatever you want to do. Whatever, whatever makes you feel good, you do that. That's okay. And that's the culture we live in right now. But that's not what God teaches us in Scripture. He said, you know what? We need good healthy boundaries. 
And we need to be diligent about our responsibilities. You know, work, you know, it's hard to find. I, I, everywhere I look, there's people hiring everywhere. And people can't find anybody that wants to work. It's almost become the American culture is how, you know what, I would rather not have to work. But work is not a curse. I think sometimes we look in the scriptures and we think, you know, Adam and Eve, they got cursed and had to work. No, work is a good thing. The ground was cursed. But the thing is, is we are to work. We're to, we're to do our jobs and do them well. So in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent somebody else to do his job. And so they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city uh, Rabbah. David, however, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. He stayed behind just kind of hanging out. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got up out of the bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So here's the thing. He gets word of who she is, right? But it didn't stop him. And that's the thing about, you know, whenever we don't guard our hearts and we don't guard our eyes, we go further than we would ever think of going. And what's happening with David here happens to us all the time as well. We would probably say, you know what, I would never do what someone else has done like David. I would never do that. I would never, you know, kill somebody. I would never steal anything. I would never. We, we say that, but if we get close enough, we'll go there. If we let down our guard, eventually we'll go there. And if you say, man, not me, I would never do that. I've heard a lot of people say that that have done it. And so you have to guard yourself against that. You know, don't become haughty or arrogant or prideful. Think, and here's the thing, we get judgmental, we start looking down on people. And we realize, you know what, that is sin. And God hates that arrogant, haughty spirit. We need to always realize, man, we're, we're so close to making a bad decision and we need to be careful. That's why we need these guardrails in our marriages. That's the reason we need to say, you know what? Hey, I'm not getting too close to anybody. I'm not meeting with anybody of the opposite sex. I'm going to guard against that. And because all it takes is someone who's kind of pushing the envelope a little bit, a little bit. And if we don't push it back, they'll push it a little bit farther. And so David pushes the envelope, doesn't he? He pushes the envelope with another man's wife, invites her to come to the palace. He's doing everything he can to push the envelope. Here's a guy who loves God. And you might think, why would he do that? Well, why, do, why do people hit the ditch all the time? It's because they begin to become complacent, lazy. They lower the, the guardrails. They lower the standards. And they begin to say, well, it's okay. Hey, everybody else is doing it. This is what's normal now. And so he knew who she was. And then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Seems pretty easy. You know, he's the king. Maybe he overwhelmed her. Maybe he, you know, he, he seduced her or whatever. But he slept with another man's wife, knowing who it was before he ever sent for her. And so he chose to sin. And that's the thing we need to understand is every day we have a choice. You can choose to honor the God that you claim that you serve with your actions, with your words, with your thoughts, with your eyes. You can choose to honor God or you can choose to dishonor him. You can choose to honor your spouse with your words. You can choose to honor your spouse spouse with your actions. You can choose to honor someone. You can honor your parents. You can choose to honor your brother, your sister. And so we have a choice every day. And so the thing is, is there's opportunity every day. There will always be temptations. The Bible says there will always be temptations that are coming our way. There will be storms that will blow into our life. And there will be opportunities to make a, a bad choice. It's always there. There's always someone. And so what we've got to be willing to do is say, you know, God, help me to make wise choices every day. Make the most of every opportunity. And let me just say this again. We're all one poor decision away from being in the same boat. 
I had a guy call me this past week, a good friend from years ago. And he called me about a friend of mine who was a pastor who was, who's, who's fallen. You know, he had an affair. He said, man, what happened? And he asked me and I, I kind of shared with him what was going on. And, and he goes, uh, and he asked about another guy. And I said, well, he, he, he had an affair. And, and all of a sudden it was kind of like, well, man, I can't believe them. And he was kind of like speaking down to him and said, hey, listen, be careful, dude. I said, we're all one decision, one poor decision away from being in the same boat. All it takes is the right circumstances, the right situation. That's why we have to stay broken and humble before the Lord. And so we have to be careful that we make good choices each day. Guard your heart, guard your eyes, and guard your mind. You know, Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that, to guard our heart and our mind. And so how do we guard it? We guard it with the Word of God. We, we hide God's Word in our heart. King David is the one that would write, Lord, I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He would, he would later say that. So here's what we need to understand. I need to be memorizing Scripture because it guards my mind. When Satan hits me with a thought, you know, or there's a temptation, all I have to do is quote Scripture. And if I've hid that in my heart, it protects my heart. The Bible says to take guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And so we need to guard our heart. We need to guard our mind. And we need to guard our eyes what we allow in. You know, most of us in this room have cable. And most of you guys watching have cable and Internet. And so there's so many things out there that are not for our eyes. But yet we will cheat our spouse and we'll cheat ourselves and we'll cheat our God by allowing things and watching things because it's just a good movie. It's just a it's good acting. It's good whatever. And we'll see things and we'll watch things and we we'll go, you know what? God's word is pretty clear. I should not be looking looking at that. But we have a tendency to let those things down. So when we let down our guard, man, all we are is a, a bad decision away from from hitting the ditch just like these guys. So, so, so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. So let me kind of catch you up what happened here. So Bathsheba finds out that she's pregnant, so she lets David know. And so David says, hey, you know what? I'll bring Uriah home, her husband. He said, I'll bring him home. He'll sleep with his wife. He'll think it's his kid, and I'll be covered. Because, you know, we, we always try to cover up one thing, one sin or one lie with the other. And so he goes, I'll just bring Uriah home. And he'll, he'll come home, he'll sleep with his wife, she'll think it's his kid. Or he'll think it's his kid. And so Uriah comes home and David, you know, tells him, hey, you know, give me a report from what's going on in the battlefield. And Uriah gives him a report. And so David says, go home and relax. And so Uriah just can't do that. And so Uriah goes and he sleeps with the, with the, the guard. You know, he sleeps in there. He sleeps with the guys, the, the king's guards. And when, he, and when David finds out, he goes, what are you doing? He said, listen, he said, the Ark of the Covenant is out there. The Ark of God is out there. You know, the men of God are out there on the battlefield. He goes, how can I go home and wine and dine and sleep with my wife? He goes, I swear I'll never do that. And so David tries to get him drunk. So here, here, here we go again, man. David's pushing the envelope. You know, he's trying to cover this thing up. So he gets Uriah drunk and he tells him, you know, he tries to get him to go home. And, and Uriah still will not go because of his boundaries and his commitment. And he won't go. So David says, so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. Now, this is this is really, man, he, David has crossed the line. It's one has led to another. And so he's, he's sending a hit on Uriah by Uriah. He sent, hey, I want this guy murdered. And he's sending it by the very guy that he's already robbed. And he's about to murder him. So the, the letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. And then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. 
In other words, he's setting him up. He's telling Joab, hey, put him up there. Now he's, he's put a hit on Uriah. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Here's the thing about sin. I mean, it has consequences. God can forgive our sin. Don't get that. Don't, don't miss that. God is a God who forgives. But there are often consequences, consequences and it affects more than what we intended. So David wants Uriah killed, right? So he says, hey, listen, whenever the battle gets really tough up there, I want you to back off, let Uriah get killed. But it also says several other Israelite soldiers died, lost their lives. So David murdered not one, but many. So David murders all these people trying to hide a baby that was conceived out of wedlock and it was conceived in sin. And so David is doing everything he can to cover this up and manage to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm just telling you, that's what happens with our sin. When we, we sin and we try to cover it up, we try to hide it, God tells us, hey, confess that. Man, come open with that. What we uncover through confession and through repentance, God says he will cover with his grace. But the more that we try to hide our sin, the more that it will grow. And one lie will have to cover another lie. And then another sin has to cover another sin. And so here we see where David has not only killed Uriah, but he's killed other soldiers as well that were there to guard him. And so Joab sends a report back. And he says, hey, he sends a messenger back and he says, go back and tell King David, you know, what has happened. And, and the messengers go like, man, should I go back and tell him that? I mean, because we kind of blew it here. You know, we were battling out here. We knew better than to get close to the wall where the, where the archers were at. So should we go back and tell the king that we have blown it? And Joab said, hey, listen, just go back and tell him that Uriah was killed as well. And so he's a little bit nervous about going back and telling the, the king that they had made some bad decisions, you know, you know, just military-wise. And so whenever he gets back there, he tells king, king David what's happened. King David just says, hey, you know what? Some will die by the sword today. Some will die tomorrow. Go back and fight harder and take the city. Man, he's kind of cold-hearted about it. Like, hey, these guys died defending your kingdom, but you don't really care about their lives. Go back, fight harder, win, win the city. And then we see, said so when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. You know, she was mourning for him, going through a process. And we have to mourn. I mean, that's part of the healing process when we lose someone that we love is we have to go through a healing process. Because it's a wound. When you lose someone, let me tell you, if you've gone through a divorce, that is a wound that needs to be mourned. You know what I mean? Some of you might think, well, no, I was so glad to get out of it. But here's the thing. It's a relationship that has died. And you need to mourn that. It was a commitment, a covenant that was established. And you need to mourn that. Someone dies, breathes their last breath, you know, and, and man, it grieves our heart. And we, we have to deal with that grieving. We have to grieve that. And we have to learn how to mourn. And so scripture shows us that Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead and she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. So he brings them in. That, this was back whenever, you know, it was, hey, you had lots of wives. God would change that later in Scripture. And, but here we see this, and so we see that David brings her in. Looks like he's being such a great guy, taking care of things. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. God was displeased with this. God knows everything that David has done. David thinks he's got it hidden. He thinks, hey, man, this has worked out great. He dies. The only one that really knows is Joab and Bathsheba, he thinks. Maybe a few people who worked in the palace might have an idea. But he thinks, I've got it covered up. I've got this hidden. And so what happens is a man of God confronts him. 
A man of God confronts him. He, he comes to, to David. And here's the thing. He puts his life on the line. To go to before the king with even, you know, a, a downcast, you know, expression. To go before the king in any way that was not, you know, honoring to them could cost you your life. So Nathan goes and he confronts David. And we see this in, in chapter 12. It says, so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David the story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children, and it ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. It cuddled in his arms like a baby daughter. Now, you guys who have fur babies out there, you might be able to relate to that. You might go, you know what? I understand how close you can get to an animal. And so the way that Nathan is painting this picture is, man, this was part of their family. This, this sheep had grown up and literally was part of their family. He cared for it. He took care of it. I mean, you know, I've, let, I've seen people do some gross stuff like letting their dog get out of their mouth. Makes me want to puke. But I'm just saying that he lets him drink out of his cup and off his plate here. It says, one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and pre- prepared it for his guest. So here's this guy's got everything, but instead of using his own, he takes this, this part of a family. And look what happens with David here. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He deserves to die. Who would do such a thing? What a callous guy. He must pay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Can you imagine that? David's furious. He's like, this, this, something's got to happen. And Nathan goes, you are that man. You're the one that has done this. And so when we see this picture, Nathan had the courage to confront him. And we see that there's a brokenness that happens. You know, and David has blown it. He, he's messed up. But there's a pathway to God. I love this. There's a pathway back to God. Nathan confronts him. And, and David takes ownership. He finally says, hey, look, you know what? I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against God. And God, and he, he's, he's asking, you know, hey, is God going to forgive me? And Nathan says, God's going to forgive you, but there's going to be consequences to your sin. And God begins to lay it out. There's consequences. And this is what we need to understand. You know, when we commit a sin, there are consequences that go with that. God can forgive that sin, but the consequences are often there. And so David finds out, you know what? Number one, there, hey, the, the baby is going to die. The consequences of the sin, you know, that was conceived in sin, the baby's going to die. It's going to breathe its last. David would weep. He would mourn. Man, he would sit there and he would pray for this child, but it died. His house would be living by the sword from this day forward. There would be consequences to it. There would be, there would be uh, all kinds of uh, turmoil in his home, in the palace. And so David would have to deal with that. God would still use David. God would forgive David. But there were consequences to that. Oftentimes a young Boy or young girl, you know, get together and they, they end up getting pregnant and they'll say, Hey, God, please forgive us. But the, the girl's still pregnant. The baby's still there. You know, you go, is that a consequence? No, it's part of the process. And here's the thing we need to understand is, you know, God can forgive the sin and God can use that child to do great and mighty things. But there's still consequences. You know, there's change that comes in your life. There's things that have to be done differently. And so we look at this pathway back to God. This is David writing this. Many of the Psalms that we see written are King David writing those. He was, man, he had a, and think about this. This is a guy that grew up that God had used to defeat a, a bear and a lion and a giant. He would play the harp. Man, he sang songs to God. He would write the Psalms. 
he was just an incredible young man, but he, he got adrift. He lost focus. He drifted off course, and it happens to the best of us. So that's why we have to have accountability around us. We need to have friends around us. We need to have people around us that love us. And so, but we see David's heart here in brokenness over his sin. It says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. He's taking ownership of it. He's seeing it. And he's coming before God. And so I just want you to know, you know, maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you've blown it. And you know, you know what? I have sinned. And I have sinned in a great way. And I feel like I am constantly having to cover it with another lie or another sin. And God says, if you will confess it, if you will bring it into the light. That's one of the things that he said today. He said, what you did in the, in, in the darkness, he said, is going to be brought into the light. And so what we need to understand is whenever we confess that, we, we bring it before God and we repent of it, we turn from it. There's healing, there's restoration, there's redemption. And so David is saying here, he says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. It's because of God, because of your greatness, compassion, blot out the stain of my sins, wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. And so when we hear David here, man, he's broken over it. He, he's grieving over this sin. Against you and you alone have I sinned, and I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. And so this is something we need to understand. Anytime we sin, it is against God. There we go. Understand that all sin is against God. All sin. And you might think, well, hey, I did this to somebody. It is against God. God... You know, God says, hey, listen, all sin is against me. And so you might think, well, I just wronged this person or I won't forgive this person or, you know, I hate this person. Well, that sin that you have against someone else is also a sin against God. And so David is saying, hey, listen, not only did I murder Uriah, not only did I, you know, cheat him and his wife out of their marriage. He goes, I have sinned against the holy God. And we need to get our mind around that. Now, this is what I love. God, God's forgiveness is by his grace alone. We don't deserve, David didn't deserve God's forgiveness. And I listen, in this culture that we live in, you know, this cancel culture, they would be done with David. He's gone, man. He is toast. He, there's no hope for him. That's the cancel culture that we live in. But God says, you know what? There is a chance for someone. There's a second chance. There's an opportunity for you to come to brokenness, to be broken before the Lord. There's an opportunity for you to confess your sins. There's an opportunity for you to repent and turn and be different from this point forward. To be different, to be transformed by the power of a living God working in you. So God's forgiveness is only by his grace. God shows us grace. He shows us mercy. So let's let's keep driving. Let's unpack this. He says, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Understand that we were born as sinners. There's a lot of people say, you know, I've never really done anything that bad. If you have the blood of Adam running through your veins, you have you have a sinful nature. If you have flesh hanging on your body, you have the flesh that is sinful nature. And we will battle that. And so here David is saying, man, from the moment I was conceived, the moment that I was brought together in the, in the, in the secret place in the womb, I was sinful. We don't have to teach our kids to do what's wrong. We have to teach them to do what's right. We have to teach them the things of God. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, 
Now let me rejoice. I love what David is bringing to the table here. He says, listen, man, I am broken over my sin and it's a good place to be. I'm broken over what I've done. I'm convicted over my sin and it's affecting me. It's bothering me. You know, and so here's the thing. There may be somebody that you hate. You hate them with everything that's in you. And hopefully today, maybe God is bringing some conviction in your life and going, you know what? I can't hate them. If God can forgive, then I've got to forgive. If God is telling me to quickly and thoroughly forgive just as Christ is forgiven, then I've got to do that. If there's something that I've stolen, I need to take it back and maybe even give more than what I took. If I've cheated someone, I need to, I need to tell them, hey, listen, I've wronged you and I'll pay more than that back. You know, I need to be a man of integrity or a woman of integrity whenever I do business. And I'm always trying to take advantage of someone. And God, if I've done it in the past, forgive me. We see that over and over, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. When God would get a hold of a man's heart, he would say, you know what? I'm going to go back and, and fix some of the things I've done wrong. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. The personal responsibility. Take personal responsibility for a sin. A lot of times we want to blame somebody. We want to blame, you know, somebody. We blame our past. We blame our, the, the, the family of origin, where we grew up. We blame it on them. There's things that affect you. I get that. Believe me, I, I was impacted by the home that I grew up in and the decisions that were made there. But you know what? God is greater than that. And He can overcome a dysfunctional home. He can overcome a bad situation, a bad home life. He can overcome everything. And he can, he can empower you to do something. That's what God does. He equips us, He empowers us, and He sends us out, right? And so that's what we ought to be about. Say, God, I'm, I'm not going to live in sin. I'm going to take personal responsibility. I'm not going to blame everybody else for what's going on in my life. I'm going to take ownership of it. And I'm going to take re- personal responsibility for the sin that I've committed. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me and to change me and to equip me and to empower me to move forward. So we have to take personal responsibility. We can't be blaming everybody else. By confessing he was guilty, David was coming back to God. There's a turn there. There's a, there's a break in the road. You know, he said, you know what? I'm turning and coming back to God. And he said, you know what? I'm guilty. By confessing he was guilty, David was coming back to God. Who alone can renew our relationship broken by sin? God is the only one that can renew that relationship. It's only through him. I can't earn my way back. I can't do enough good deeds to maybe get in good gracious with God. I just have to receive his grace and I have to receive his mercy by faith. And then trust him with everything that's in me. But he was guilty and he was, he was turning back. Look at what he says here. Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. David knew he had drifted. David knew that his heart was corrupt. David knew that, you know, he had become lazy and complacent. Man, he was like, God, help me to become loyal. Help me to be faithful. You know, wouldn't you like to get to the end of your life and hear people say about you, he was, he was loyal. He was faithful. Not that he was a cheat. Not that he was a liar. Not that he was whatever, but you know, you hear, you know, loyal, faithful, honest, transparent, whatever it might be. But create that clean, that clean heart in me, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. We read earlier where David, he was filled with the Holy Spirit as he would, as he would play in the harp and for King Saul. It says, know that only God can cleanse and restore us. That's what we need to understand. We don't get there by works. We don't get there by deeds. It's just when we finally get to a place of brokenness and we go, you know what? God, I need your touch in my life. God, I need you to be center. I need you to be the very center of my life. I need my marriage built on you and your precepts. 
past week, uh, I had an opportunity to sit down with a, an incredible couple that's a part of our church family. And I want you to hear a little bit of their story. And it's a great story of redemption. Check out John and Suzanne Pierce. Okay. Um, my name is John Pierce. Suzanne. We're the ministry leaders for the Celebrate Recovery Program here at Journey Church. Through uh, a course of uh, our marriage, it had been about the 25-year point at that point. There were some hurts in the childhood that uh, I hadn't really dealt with, trying to, you know, not really trying to deal with reality and avoiding reality. And uh, I grew up somewhat in some dysfunction. We didn't really talk about feelings or um, really know how to express any of that. And you just suppress things. And so that kind of led to a habit uh, when I discovered alcohol in high school. Um, that was kind of my ultimate escape mechanism. So I grew up uh, in the church. I, I went to church regularly, um, but I, I didn't really understand God until I was probably 24 when that light bulb went off. And then I gave my life over to him when I was 24. And by then I was, we were married for about five years. I grew up uh, with low self-esteem and I avoided conflict, so uh, I ended up being a, a people pleaser a lot of the times, or if I tried conflict, I, I, I avoided it or I struggled with it and I didn't know what to do with other people's anger. Or... We come from a military background. I joined the Air Force straight out of high school and uh, spent 31 years active duty in the Air Force. And I was a very driven individual, but underneath all that was uh, really an insecure person that found, you know, sought out comfort in, in drinking. And uh, I also had you know, issues with uh, sexual activity. There was pornography as part of the story. I saw some of these things happening and drinking, and and um, it was a struggle. I really wanted to control the situation, the circumstances. I kind of wanted to have control over my life, and and I didn't. With a military life, we we uh, we moved all the time. I um, had a relationship with God, but it really was a compartmentalized one where um, God was almost like that accessory that you put on on Sunday like your watch, and then you took it off when it was convenient, uh, but wasn't really sold out for the Lord. Uh, but about five years ago, as my military career was coming to an end, that meaning and purpose that I kind of falsely found in worldly things of success and uh, really was kind of stripped away. And that's when those addictions really just spiraled out of control. And I started to have panic attacks. And so not only did I realize that I was powerless, but I was powerless over... Uh, my husband's choices and his struggles, and I was powerless over changing him when I realized that not only was I powerless over him, but my own body, I was having panic attacks. I was powerless over that. Um, and I ended up being placed into the, the county jail. I had lost my job. Um, Suzanne had finally had enough. Uh, we, were, we were done. So I was expecting my family was gone. No place to live. I was flat on my back, literally, on a concrete floor in a local county jail. And I had thought I had gone too far with God and there was really no hope for me anymore. I thought everything I had was gone. A decision in my life, do I just give up and quit, uh, which would have been the easy answer. You know, what, uh, you know the lies that I'd kind of bought into uh, were all telling me to do. The hard decision was going to be to do something different. I was surrendering things to God. I piecemealed him, my grief. I piecemealed him, my husband. I piecemealed uh, my kids. And, and I thought I was giving things and handing things over to him. But he wanted my marriage. 
And I had to walk away from that. And that's when I really realized that, ah, I have to surrender to win. And so that was my bottom, but it was also the beginning of a comeback. Um, I was introduced to a, a program called Celebrate Recovery through a chaplain who had given me a Bible. And uh, in reading that, that's where I learned about a graceful, forgiving God that uh, I could surrender to. So I didn't know how things were going to turn out from there. Um, I just took a giant leap of faith. I finally surrendered everything instead of uh, having God as kind of an accessory in my life that I conveniently put on and off and called 911 when it was, you know, an emergency. And I just started praying. And so when I surrendered to win, it was... A, a moment in time where I realized that I, all in God and whether, whether uh, our marriage reconciled or not, I wanted John to be reconciled to God. And God allowed time for everything else to be stripped away and for me to have uh, total focus on him and on that and reading through there, learning about uh, a graceful, forgiving God that you hadn't gone too far with. So I just I cried out to God. I didn't know what. My life was going to be from that point on, but I was totally committed and totally sold out to him, and I told him I would do whatever he wanted me to do. I needed to trust God, to trust, to trust John. You know, he came to me, and he, he asked for forgiveness, he made amends, um, and then he asked to date me, and that was when I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. But um, I said yes, and we did. We started going to celebrate recovery. I knew I had to forgive uh, God calls us. He commands us to forgive. And I knew that I would have to forgive whether we would be together or not. Um, reconciliation is, is a choice. And I didn't know if I wanted to reconcile. I didn't know how I was going to trust my husband again. God used CR as a tool to help us um, individually and together um, work on our stuff. I, uh, but after seven months, like I said, that was five years ago, we, we reconciled. We felt God uh, calling us to, in turn, help others who've kind of struggled through the same thing. God has really worked in that where our, our marriage is very much more God-focused now than it ever was. We still have conflicts, um, but I'm a lot quicker to come back and try to resolve those but just ignore things and just not address it. Forgiving and reconciling and um, being, being under God's will and in God's will and choosing him as center of our life. Give it up for him. I mean, don't you love redemption? Woo. I do. I love stories of redemption, restoration, a marriage that was so close, a life that was so close to being lost. God restores. That's what He does. He does it well. Not only did they was their marriage saved, but God's using them to lead a ministry that is reaching people who have hurts, habits, and hangups, and that's all of us. That's how God works, man. He just he takes what everybody else wants to throw away and he says, hey, listen, I can do great things with that. He is a God who saves. He is a God who redeems. He is a God who forgives. And he's not just some accessory we, th- we throw on for Sunday morning. Not just when we need him to throw out a 911. 
but it's who we should be living for day in, day out. And living to honor Him, seeking to honor Him in every possible way. Putting up guardrails because we want Him to be honored and glorified. Look at, look at the rest of this pathway to God here. It says, restore me to the joy of your, of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. What's John and Suzanne doing? They're teaching it to people that have rebelled against God. They're teaching others how to walk back to God. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves, and I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. He had men killed. I mean, here's David broken over his sin. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. I love this. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken, repentant heart, O God. David is saying, hey, listen, if you will be broken over that, if you will truly have remorse, if you will truly be repentant, God will heal that. That's what he desires is repentance. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. This is back before Jesus. And then here's the the thing that we walk away with. The last step in that is seek God and repent. Seek God and repent. Seek Him. Chase after Him. Seek Him and repent. Be broken. Remember, repentance is changing the way we think about our sin. It's changing the way we think about God. God desires a broken and repentant heart. That's what he desires. This world can tell you, hey, listen, don't worry about that. Don't everybody does it, but don't have that mentality. But go, you know, God, I know what you desire. And God, I'm broken over my sin. I'm not going to justify it anymore. I'm not going to make excuses anymore. I'm not going to just try to act like everybody else. God, I want to be your man. God, I want to be your lady. God, I want to be you for your purposes and for your kingdom. Here's a great statement right here. This morning, if you have ever felt far away from God, you can come back to God just like David. If you've drifted off, here's the thing. Maybe you haven't committed a major sin like David has. You know, you haven't committed adultery or murder or whatever. But the thing is, is you're adrift and you know it. And I'm telling you, if you, if you don't come back to God, if you don't zero in on, you know what, God, I want to live for you. I want to honor you. You're not far from making those decisions. So maybe today, just in a fresh way, say, God, I want to recommit fresh and new today. God, I want to live for you. God, I, I, want to, I want to lead my family in such a way that, God, everyone in my family knows that you are first. God, I want to live in such a way that every one of my coworkers know that you are, you are the Lord of my life. I want to live in such a way that everybody that knows me knows that I know you personally. And, God, restore the joy of my salvation. Maybe you've lost the joy of your salvation. So, God, restore me. God, use me. God, show me how I can make a difference in the lives of others. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just ask God, God, what what in me needs to change? God, have I lowered my standards? God, have I lowered the guardrails, the the boundaries in my life? God, you know my heart and you know my eyes. God, have I I cheated you? Have I cheated my spouse? Have I sinned against you in any possible way? God, then show me what that might be. Illuminate that in my life that I might be able to confess it to you today. Repent of it and turn to you. God, I want to be used for your kingdom and for your purposes. God, I want to lead my family and lead it well. And God, I don't want to bring these heavy consequences on my marriage or my family or my children or my home or my nation. But God, I want to be a blessing. 
I want to be a light. I want to be able to offer hope. I want to make a difference. So right where you are, just say, God, show me what I need to do today. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. You've never been saved. You've never been redeemed. Jesus, He is the Redeemer. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the only way to a right relationship with God. And so maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. Maybe you're watching online you've never put your faith in Christ. Let today be the day of redemption for you. And you say, Jesus, I want to ask you to come into my life. I confess my sin to you. I want to quit living that way. That's repentance. And Jesus, I want you to change me, to transform me, to fill me with your Holy Spirit, to lead me and guide me each day from this point forward. And Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you everything. I surrender. You heard Suzanne say she found out that she had to surrender to win. When we surrender to Christ, we win salvation. We receive it as a gift. We receive eternal life. We become part of the family of God. Maybe that is your prayer today. Man, we want to know. Maybe you're here in the room and you've made that decision. If you would, just raise your hand and say, Mike, I just asked Christ to come into my life. Anybody in the room? I see your hand back here. Anybody else? Anybody else? It's the greatest decision you'll ever make, and I'm proud of you for making that decision. It's life-changing. Maybe you're online, you're, you've made that decision. Let us know. We want to walk with you. We want to be able to put a Bible in your hand. We want to be able to teach you and equip you and empower you to go out and do the same. Maybe you're here today and you know there's, there's sin in your life. Where you're, where you're, sitting, you're sitting at, that, that could become your altar right now. Just say, God, I know that I need to confess this. God, I need to repent. And God, right now, I'm asking you. To break my heart over my sin. If you're watching it online, ask God to break your heart over your sin. That there might be change. And that there might be a transformation. Father, thank you for meeting with us today. I thank you for stories like Tony Mess and Laura Mess. God, I thank you for stories like uh, John and Suzanne, Lord Father, who you have changed them. God, I thank you for redemption. I thank you for second chances. God, I thank you for forgiveness. And God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross, who bled out his precious blood to pay for our sins and to offer us salvation. God, that we might be able to receive it by faith. God, thank you for loving us today. God, use us as messengers, as, as Lord Father, as your ambassadors, as your representation as we go out this week. That God, we would, we would have the joy of our salvation. And Lord Father, everyone around us would know that. That we are your child. We're part of your family. And God, we're part of your church. So God, use us for your purposes and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, Journey Church. Can we celebrate?